I know how hard it was to just get a new musical going. And then also being in like a, a hit musical after that, I have such a gratitude for it because you're like, it doesn't always happen this way. Welcome, I'm David Eggers, Broadway vet, director, choreographer, and now college professor. My goal here is to help you prepare for some of the mental challenges that come with a musical theater career. Join me and my guests as we uncover mental processes, perspectives, and mindset shifts that can help fortify and sustain you, even propel you forward into a long and fruitful career in musical theater. Thanks for being here, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the mental game of musical theater. I am David, your host, and I'm so excited to have with us today one of the most wonderful people that I have met over the years. Our paths crossed years and years and years ago. I've been a big fan ever since. And now she is in Kimberly Akimbo, my favorite musical on Broadway right now. So Ali Mozzie is here with us today. She has done an incredible amount of work on stage regionally and off-Broadway. She's worked at places like Pasadena Playhouse and La Jolla Playhouse and the Muni and the Atlantic Theater off-Broadway, New York Philharmonic, City Center Encores, and then on Broadway she did Hairspray. She also toured in that. She did the role of Lenora in Cry Baby. I know a lot of people out there know that role. Um, iconic role. She played Glinda in Wicked on Broadway and also she did The San Francisco Company. She did Hello Dolly on Broadway and of course Kimberly Akimbo on Broadway. She She's done some voice acting as well, and she is a graduate from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Everybody, Ali Mozzie. Hi, Ali. <laughs> Hi. Hi. It's so good to see you again. I cannot wait to talk about Kimberly Akimbo, but way, way before that, I want to take you back in time because before you had this incredible resume and this huge career, you were a graduate from Tisch School of the Arts in the middle yeah. of it all, New York City. Oh my gosh. I want to go back to that time period <laughs> and ask you, did you just come out of that school like rare to go and ready to take the world by storm? Oh my gosh, it was like, no, I was raring and ready to go, but it didn't line up how I thought it was going to line up. Out of college, right away, I had to work harder than I thought I was going to have to work for it, which was very, it set me up very well for the longevity of being in this business. I mean, first of all, because I think probably a lot of people who might listen to your podcast might, might be some college kids and people getting into the business. I auditioned for all my colleges and either got waitlisted or not accepted. Hmm except um, for like a safety school I had. So I went to my safety school and kept my grades up and I re-auditioned and I did it again, the whole round of auditions again, and then got into like a lot of my schools. And what felt like at the time, oh gosh, like I, I could have been real defeated by all of that, but it's just how the, this business is, right? Yeah. I got told no, so I tried again. That's awesome. And then I got into my schools and that's how I ended up at NYU. Wow. So you transferred to NYU as a sophomore? As a sophomore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the thing is, so at NYU, you know, Tish, um, I also did not get cast in my showcase. Like there are so many studios at Tisch. And I think like anybody can audition for them. So it wasn't just the musical theater kids who are up and able to do the showcase. It was very disappointing that I didn't, I did not get a showcase. So that's when I say when I graduated, I know, isn't that nuts? That's so crazy. So, so I, they, they do a showcase, but you have to audition to be in the showcase. Correct. I don't know what it's like now, wow. but when I was at school, there was an audition process for it. And I went to go get feedback from whoever was in charge about it. And that was disappointing too. They're like, well, we, we know you're going to make it. So we just, you know, oh my gosh. Like that was kind of like it. And I was like, well, 
that's good to hear, but that doesn't like help me right now, you yeah, know? Yeah. I graduated from NYU without an agent or representation. I also happened to break my foot. I literally did my graduation in a cast. Oh my crutches. gosh. But you know what's interesting? Like I stayed for just like a few months in, in New York after that. And my family is out from, um, they live in Southern California, right outside Los Angeles. So I just moved back there. It's hard to live with crutches in New York City and then yeah, like a is. boot. So I just kind of went home to California for a little bit. And my voice teacher at the time, who I've studied with since high school, in Glendale, he knew of a competition in Los Angeles that basically it's just like, there are so many categories, musical theater, pop, um, monologues, commercials. And he's like, do it. I knew somebody who was running it, so it was free for me. He's like, just do it because there's just, who cares if you win? It's not about that. It's about getting seen. And and he was right. I got my agent through that. And at the time, Hairspray was starting to um, cast the first national tour. I think I was just in the right place at the right time. I was the right age. I was the right type for that show. And before that agent even signed to me, he submitted me for Hairspray. And I booked it like, and that's kind of what started everything. That's how I got my agent. Equity card. I didn't have a simple route my college experience, and mm-hmm. and I and I don't mean to downplay NYU because actually I love I loved NYU for a, a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. It just didn't set me up in the way I thought it was gonna you know set me up with like a showcase or something like that. I had to go a roundabout way, but I guess that's what we do sometimes in this business. I think being told no a little bit along the way it didn't it didn't come easy to me those four years getting where I wanted to be. It was disappointing, but I I just kept put one foot in front of the other, which I thought was a good lesson. Because I'm a big fish in a small pond back home and like the little you know, community theater I, I do. It's easy to like right. walk into college and be like, I'm awesome. And then you get <laughs> to New York and you're like, oh my gosh, everybody's awesome. That is so, so to true. to be told no, it was like, all right, well, if I want this, I'll try. I'll just try again. You know? Yeah, yeah. This makes me want to ask you about your determination and the sort of vision you had, if you had a vision for what you wanted to do and what kind of career you wanted to craft for yourself. I mean, obviously you had some intention by getting yourself to NYU and going through that program. Did you know that you wanted to play lead roles in musicals? I did know I wanted to play lead roles in musicals. My first job out of school was Hairspray and I was in the ensemble and I covered Penny. Again, my voice used the time he's like you know if you keep accepting ensemble roles you stay long enough in ensemble roles people are going to see you in ensemble roles Mm -hmm. so I only stayed in Hairspray on tour for six months and then I got offered the role with Penny Pinkleton I didn't accept it because I I didn't want to go back on tour so I stayed in LA and that's when I worked at like the Pasadena Playhouse got into voiceovers and stuff like that but who knows if I would have gotten upgraded in the ensemble I was very valuable as an ensemble person because I could be in the ensemble and cover a part and I already knew it but I left and maybe they were like oh well the part's up let's call Hallie you know so I knew um I wanted to play lead roles that's something I did know I mean I do feel like getting into this business I kind of was just like I knew I liked it it wasn't until I was like paying my own bills working on Broadway I did do the Broadway company first by random circumstances and I just was like it clicked when I was like oh I'm making a living doing this this is what I always want to do yeah you know at some point not long after that you got Crybaby. I guess there was a lot in between because, I mean, Crybaby started as a reading and there were a few years in there of readings and workshops. So I think in between there, I actually think maybe I was the standby in Wicked as Glinda. And that was another one where I was like, do mm. I want to just stand by in Wicked? Like, Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? We'll come back to Crybaby in a second because you mentioned yeah. a couple of things that maybe some of my listeners don't even like really know that much about. You mentioned yeah. a reading and a workshop and you mentioned being a standby. So first of all, mm. a reading and a workshop Do you feel comfortable explaining what those are? The readings, I feel like they call them like 29 hour, you know, readings. And so basically, I don't know, you're given like a week, maybe like a week and a half, and you're only technically allowed to rehearse 29 hours. It's a union thing total. So you can rehearse six hours one day and like two hours another day. But in total, you're only allowed to do it for 29 hours. 
You literally stand with a music stand and your music and your script in front of you. Sometimes it's a private reading and it's just for the writers to hear their stuff. Sometimes they're they're trying to just like get investors. And that's what it is, I feel like a lot of the times. Yeah. And then a workshop, the Crybaby workshop, I think was, I think three or four weeks and we put it on its feet and we choreographed it. I mean, it's limited props. There's very specific rules. They have to keep it very simple. We're not mounting a full scale mm-hmm. anything. It right. has to look like almost like a rehearsal on its feet. Right. And it's the same thing. It's for writers to kind of flush out their, their script but a lot of the times it's to interest investors and producers to hopefully get that show a bigger life a commercial life usually yeah yeah you've probably done this many times but back then you were doing the workshop of crybaby in new york city Mm -hmm. while you were also a standby for glinda at wicked yeah it might have timed out that way a lot of this time i was living like i said out in california after hairspray i moved back to california again they would just fly me out for the readings in the workshops and then you know i actually booked a wicked from los angeles as well. Wow. So I just kept going back and forth. I actually ended up accepting the standby job at Wicked, but I accepted it because I knew Crybaby was going to La Jolla. You know, if it goes, then I I won't stay my full contract at Wicked. I had an out for that. So then I- I left my standby gig and went to La Jolla. You're dropping all these like great tips for anybody out there who's thinking about, you know, how do you work this business? First of all, there's a lot of that double duty. You're employed, you're in a show or you're doing a standby work, like you said. So you've got that steady paycheck. But then during the day, you're also participating in these readings and these workshops and working with new creative teams and people you're you're excited to work with and possibly laying the groundwork for future performance opportunities by doing that as well. Well, yeah. right? It's so easy to get comfy and cozy in your Broadway show, right? right? And like sit and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then also you're like, well, eventually if I would like to move on, I have to get some momentum there. And like what you said, you meet people, you work on stuff and hopefully something comes to fruition and they liked who you are and what you did in it and they want you to be part of it. Yeah. And you had an out. And I had an out. You had an out on your <laughs> yeah. contract. So that's a negotiating <laughs> tip that either an agent can do for you if you have one, or if you don't have an agent, you can sometimes negotiate that kind of thing for yourself. But if you know there's a possibility that you could be playing one of the featured or leading roles in a show, a lot of times mm-hmm. you can get that worked into the wording of your contract so that if that opportunity actually comes up, then you can be released from your current job to go take that opportunity. That's so great that you had the foresight to do that and that it worked out because sometimes it doesn't. Then you were back in California doing Crybaby at La Jolla Playhouse with my husband. I know. (laughs) I got to come out and see that production and hang out with you guys. And it was so good and so exciting and fun. And then miracle of miracles, because it doesn't always happen, but that show, it was strong enough and in a, in such great shape that they were able then to transfer it to New York City. Mm-hmm. And you got mm-hmm. to come with it as well and originate Lenora and Crybaby. I actually think our reviews out of town were pretty decent. Yeah. It was very positive in La Jolla. Yeah, I remember which that. Which was not the case when we got to New York. <laughs> <laughs> it happens that way sometimes, yeah. I see that a lot, actually. But I loved that show. And I got to tell you, I have a lot of students who know your big song from Crybaby. I always hear people send me clips of students singing Screw Loose either in class or... Uh Something like that. It's such a. It's, it's a so favorite. crazy. It's so crazy. It really is to the yeah. point where, like, I was going in for something. Kimberly Kimmel actually, and and it was before they were releasing any music and stuff like that for auditions. And one of the requirements was like bring in a comedic song. And I said, look, I would, I would bring in Screw Loose, but 
I just know, I think so many people do it. I was talking to <laughs> Craig, Craig Burns, who was casting Kimberly Kimbo. I said, I don't know, Craig. I was like, I would do it. He's like, Allie, he's like, it does get done. He's like, but it's your song. It's your you, song. You did you, it. You can do it. <laughs> you, you have some ownership. I know, but I was like, I can do it. But am I, am I also like the 10th person you've seen in the last like three hours to do it? I don't know. You know? I love that. That is so funny. I don't want to get stuck in Crybaby Land, which I could do because I was a big fan of that show. Let's move on because Wicked was a big part of your life too, right? Yeah, on and off. You know, it's so funny. People ask me about how long I did Wicked. I started Wicked, I think, as a standby in 2007. And I think my last contract was like 20... 14 or something like that. That seems like such a long time. I had more time off than I did doing the show. Really? Yes. I think my longest contract I ever had at Wicked was nine months. Okay. So being in Kimberly Akimbo right now, I'm technically, as far as like from start to finish, like in a row, like Kimberly Kimbo will be my longest contract, like a whole year contract. <laughs> yeah. But like Wicked was great. Like I would pop in and playing Glinda was, is one of my like favorite roles I've ever played. And that show is like so epic to so many people. So like, that's a whole thing. And then I would like go away and do other things. And then every once in a while I'd get a phone call and ask my availability and be like, do you want to go on the tour? Or do you want to close out San Francisco? And wow. If I could, I would do it because I loved it so much, mm -hmm. you know? It was so weird to, to move into, like, other theaters, like, uh, in dressing rooms and other theaters um, in New York City because I spent so much time in the Glinda dressing room that, like, actually, if, if I were to have, like, a home in Midtown, like, it's the Glinda dressing room. <laughs> theater, you know? How great to, like, be associated with a show that has such a healthy life. I know. They're coming up on 20 years this <gasps> October. That's incredible. It's their 20th anniversary. I know. I'm going to go to the party and celebrate. I'm so excited because it's like, I love any reason to come back and revisit that time in my life and the people I worked with. And I think there'll be a ton of like old cast members there. And Aww. I got to do some social media stuff for them this year. It was just like so fun to revisit it because it really was like a happy experience. Oh, that's so good to hear. I'm so glad. Yeah. That matters, yeah. right? It totally helps. That's why Crybaby was also disappointing. Like, yeah, there's like the logistical side of it where you're like, oh, I up and moved to New York City on this Crybaby contract and got a really fancy apartment and now we're closed. And now I'm stressed about money. And then you're like, oh God, is this my last Broadway show ever? The positive of Crybaby, what was really disappointing is that group of people was so fun. Like you said, La Jolla was so fun. We yeah. had so many fun parties and like the vibe backstage was so stinking fun. And it was so disappointing that I wasn't like, we weren't going to like get to all be together anymore that particular group of people. I could have sat in that show for a minute just for the hang. But I'll say this about Crybaby, not that we need to go back because I actually think it's important. I had been part of Wicked and I had been part of Hairspray up in that point, which are two very successful shows. As sad as it was that Crybaby closed early, I had a perspective now on what all the hard work it takes to open a brand new musical. You know, you see things that on stage that you're like, this is terrible. But like, I, I don't come in with that perspective anymore. The creatives and writers and, and actors, we can all have the best intentions, do really great work, try our hardest. And it just it doesn't come together and it's not yeah. for lack of effort you know right. and it's not for lack of creativity and it's really hard to mount new pieces yeah. And so when I see a show now, even if it's not my thing, I'm like its, it's biggest fan because I know how hard yeah. it was to just get a new musical going. And then also being in like a, a hit musical after that, I have such a gratitude for it because you're like, it doesn't always happen this way. Look, if there was a world where I was always in like a musical that was a hit, I don't know if I'd have the perspective of just like, 
oh, this just happens. This is easy. You know, no, <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. easy. The disappointment helped me just like, I don't know, have gratitude for the good, the good stuff. I love that, Allie. And I, you're, you're so right to point that out because maybe people don't realize it who are listening to this. Every show once starts as an idea and then it collects people and every, all these people bring their creative ideas and they try things and they work at shop things and they, they throw things out and they start over and they, you know, it just can add up to years and years and years of effort. Yeah. And everyone's yeah. best intention is to do their best work on that creative mm-hmm. side, you know, and then all these other factors start coming into play and they're trying to bring all of it together. And and then eventually, if they're lucky, they get it onto a stage and try all the parts and pieces together. And those of us who get to sit in the audience, we get the pleasure of going to see two hours of entertainment or whatever. And we mm-hmm. don't really have that perspective of all the years of effort yeah. That's a beautiful way to look at the experiences that you've had. You know, at the time, I'm sure it was incredibly disappointing, but now in hindsight, mm-hmm. you have this appreciation for what you were able to experience. That's exactly it. I, I am grateful for the lesson of it all in the long haul of, of stamina in this, in this business. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was a lesson I couldn't see at the time. Hey, this is David popping in here to let you know I'm also working on a book all about the mental game of musical theater, and I'd love for you to check it out. Head over to profeggers.com. That's P-R-O-F-E-G-G-E-R-S.com for information and to be one of the first to get your hands on this book. It's going to help you as you prepare for, pursue, and build your career in musical theater. I appreciate you checking it out, and I appreciate you being here. So let's get back to the episode. Right, right. I was in a couple of shows that, you know, were rough. I don't think at the time Mm -hmm. I had that vision or that appreciation either. I heard you mention Mm -hmm. a few minutes ago that at the time that Crybaby closed, at least for a short period of time in your life as an actor, you wondered, am I going to work again? I know. I still wonder that. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're all like that, right? It's like every show, I I think it's true. Like every time we get a show... What is that? Is it imposter syndrome? Is it insecurity? What is it about us as actors that makes us kind of go to that place? I can remember thinking things like, are they going to find out I'm like really not as good as they think I was? <laughs> you know? I know. I do remember like graduating from school, booking hairspray and thinking like, oh, I think in my young mind, I was like, oh, you book something fancy and you've made it and it is smooth sailing. You just sit up top. That's it. Like I did the work and I'm done. Mm, You know, mm -hmm. like I'll just like stay on top. And then you realize, oh, things close, things get recast. I think as I've gotten older in this business, the out of work times have become more comfortable to me. I actually think artists during the pandemic, we knew what it felt like. A lot of people were out of work or sitting at home. I was like, oh, we've sat here before. I was like, this <laughs> this part of the pandemic is very familiar. I have sat and not had work for very long periods of time, right. you know? I think a lot of times, like, you know, if we're not writing our own stuff, we're at the hands of people who are like offering us jobs. What if there's not a piece I'm right for? Sometimes it feels like things have to align the right piece at the right time with the right team and and you're the person for it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I still have the a hope and a positivity about it and a security in, you know, I'm good at this. Mm -hmm. And so that will work itself out. And sometimes I think like the wait for it is longer than I would like. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's imposter syndrome. I just know most of us feel that way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very common feeling. What's the next show going to be? When is it going to be? Is it going to be? There are just a lot of unknowns in the career Mm -hmm, that we mm -hmm. have chosen. I guess over time you start getting more and more comfortable or you can start to see that things eventually work out or there's 
going to be yeah. another opportunity at some point, or I've made good relationships with people. I've been associated with creative teams that enjoyed my work, all of those kinds of things. Because yeah. so yeah. what we're kind of hitting on here too is a little bit of how your idea of success evolves over the course of your career. You kind of alluded to that a minute ago, which was, oh, I got my first gig. I'm good. You know, I made it right or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But then that yeah. starts to change as you start to realize how the business works. And, and you said too, there are waiting periods. You don't know how long they're going to be, but you start to know and trust that you've established yourself. There are creative teams out there that are creating and you're on their radar and you'll get an opportunity to go in, you know? You start to diversify yourself too, right? You start to mm -hmm. dabble in voiceover, you, I, you know, concert work, any of it. So actually, you know, oftentimes if I'm not doing a Broadway show, I'm doing concert work. And that was not something in college that was on my radar. Neither was mm -hmm. voiceovers, but I fell into it. And it's just another creative outlet, another way to make a living. So I'm not necessarily waiting at home for the next Broadway show, right? Because that's right. when it's tough. You're, you know, yeah. it's just like I always say, like, you just put one foot in front of the other and, and kind of diversifying yourself, I think, more I love than that. you I love realize that. when you were younger. Yeah. And a lot of people don't see those things. They see your bio yeah. and a playbill. You know, they don't necessarily see that you have busied yourself between games. Yes, yeah, you're hustling in other areas, for yeah, sure. Yeah, good to, to point that out. Can we talk yeah, about yeah. Kimberly Akimbo? Yes, please. <laughs> because yeah. I'm like total fangirl for that show. Oh my gosh. I had heard about it. I knew that it existed. I knew that Janine Tesori, I didn't know very much about the story at all, but I had booked a trip to New York City in January of 23, and I was going to try to see shows while I was there. I was like, I've got to go see what that's about. And I didn't really know anything. Were you hearing people talk? about it is that why or you're just oh because it was Janine Tesori it was Janine Tesori yeah I get it I tend to watch you know what's happening in New York even though I'm yeah. over here in Utah I knew mm -hmm. that it had opened but it for me at the time I wasn't I didn't know the storyline I didn't know what, yeah. what anything about it I knew Victoria Clark was starring in it and playing like maybe like a child character and that was the extent yeah. that I knew so I got yeah. a ticket I came to the show I was by myself met the lady next to me she was sort of in the same boat I think she had said somebody told me I should see this you know whatever so I was yeah. like okay nice to meet you lights go down I was not prepared for the ride that it took me on mm. I laughed until I cried mm. my heart broke till I cried mm -hmm. I felt all these incredible emotions while watching these characters work through their relationships and their trauma and mm -hmm. and and yet it is all wrapped up in this beautiful reflection of humanity mm -hmm. and i just was blown away i couldn't believe it ali and you made me laugh so hard and you broke my heart <laughs> so hard yeah 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 <laughs> i mean your performance is incredible and it is also beautifully written. I just, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe how funny you were and how much you also just broke my heart. I have run the gamut talking to people about my character, Patty. So I am not offended if you feel at some point you need to say Patty's funny and Allie's funny, but like Patty is messy and she says some really messed up stuff. She does. A lot of people would say like, she's not mother of the year, is she? You know, <laughs> this is the best part about doing this show for me. These people are really messy. Yeah. They're like how it feels to me to be a person. Right. And I don't, I don't always see that in musicals, if I'm being honest, we see some of it, but musicals can be very tidy and mm -hmm. need to end happy. And we have villains, but you you kind of still like love to boo the villain, you right, know? Right. I actually think this 
this piece, Kimberly Kimbo was stirring up legit feelings of like, oh my God, like this, this mother, she's breaking my heart with her circumstances, but I don't know if I like you genuinely. <laughs> like, I don't know if I like this person, but these are all feelings I think I wrestle with throughout my day when in my relationships with people, you know? And so it's very, I just think realistic, a, a nice reflection of life. And yes, these particular people have some trauma and mm -hmm. circumstances that are, oh, gut-wrenching but when david Lindsay bear writes it's so funny and and relatable you're laughing yeah. because you're like oh god i know that person yeah like, that, you know that's like, the thing <laughs> i totally agree patty is not the mother that i would want to have but yet at the same time she's relatable even though yeah. her circumstances are more extreme probably yeah. right she's a human being and what human being hasn't done or said something that was regrettable later. Absolutely. And even if we don't want to own up to like that stuff for ourselves, I'm like, we've all had some of these thoughts that Patty's actually saying out of her mouth. Some <laughs> totally. of us just can like, can like filter it a little bit better, <laughs> you know? Right. That's right. I have had so many friends of mine who are parents and I ex expect them to go off on like how nasty Patty is, but they're like, oh my gosh, no. Like that thing she says, I have either said that or almost said that to my kid. Yeah. It's like in a, in a fit of just like heightened day-to-day -day stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah, I've been there. So I found that so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I've been there as well. As a parent, I, I just always hope that I don't mess up my kids so much that they can't recover from it. <laughs> If, yeah, I, absolutely. if I do that, then then I'll have been a good parent. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about this too. I love therapy. I love my support groups. I love, you know, talking my stuff out. Me like too. I try to keep a really healthy mental life. I don't think Patty has accessibility right. to that right. stuff or the tools. So she's really acting out, mm -hmm. right? So I can look at Patty and be like, oh, I get you, but gosh, I wish you got some <laughs> <laughs> You know? I, I love that. Well, you mentioned David Lindsay Abair. For the people who don't know it, this musical, Kimberly Akimbo, which PS won Tony Awards, which are not the end-all be-all, but it is a lovely compliment to excellent work that gets done in New York City. Your show walked away with best musical, best score, best book. People who don't know the show may not realize that there was a play version before there was a musical version. Actually, David wrote the play before he was a parent, which I find fascinating oh. because now he, he revisited the work. Now he's got two kids, almost grown mm -hmm. kids now. So to revisit it as an actual parent, I've kind of enjoyed just sifting through all that because actually most of the people on the creative team are parents too. Interesting. And this is such a family heavy par parent type show. Yeah. Patty has a big old monologue in that play when we first meet Patty. And my first song, word for word at times, is just that that monologue oh, wow. and it doesn't necessarily rhyme like my song where like patty's talking to the baby and at the camera mm -hmm. david was like i don't know what i'm gonna do with this word wise and janine's like no don't worry i'll just take the monologue and, and janine's so creative and thinks outside the box in her writing that like she just and that song is all over the place it gets fast it gets slow but that is so representative of, of patty a little bit she can be very erratic and then also she can be very calm there weren't a, a lot of rewrites in that first like monologue which i thought was you know interesting pretty cool yeah david Lindsay bear has talked about and jessica stone our director like if you're if you're writing something new like this and you're basing it off some source material you don't always have the person who did the source material in the room with you right so it's really cool you know yeah. if we had questions about the source material you know he changed some stuff as it became a musical like the the last scene is is generally gener the same but like not like patty in the play is in labor but in the, in the musical we we worked with that and decided it just wasn't right mm -hmm. so she's not in labor in that last scene mm -hmm. and there's other stuff it's awesome to have david lindsey bear in the room and yeah. just gonna david 
can can we do this? He's he's always like, let's try let's it. Try he's it. literally like, let's try oh, it. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Love to work mm-hmm. with directors like that. How much did it change between the Atlantic Theater production and the yeah. Broadway production? I think one song changed. Our closer to Act One changed to a totally different song. No way. Because that's a great song. Yeah. I forget what the old one was called. I mean, we were still ice skating. It was still this generally same idea, mm-hmm. but it just ends on a, on a little more positive note and a little bit more energy. So that changed. But everything else stayed the same in, in on the big scope. There might have been like a, a word change here. Let's tighten this here. Mm-hmm. You know, let's the incidental music between scenes Janine would futz with. It wasn't a massive overhaul. And I will say, I think that's just a testament to how well the writing mm-hmm. is. Because sometimes, you know, you you start to stage something and you're like, oh gosh, we got to open this show, but we're still doing massive changes to try to make things work. You're like, I think there's bigger problems here than we can fix at this point. And for them, they they didn't need to change a whole lot. They had a list of things they wanted to change, but it was here or there. Uh-huh. I think what changed too is they really honed in on Kimberly, played by Victoria Clark. They really went back through the script and centered things around her perspective and making sure she was very active in the choices and, and stuff like that. Gotcha. And you know what? My character, she's a little nastier off oh, Broadway. Really? And they tried to lighten her up just a little bit because they didn't want her to not be relatable and just mean. You uh, know, well, she's not a villain. No, she's not. I love that because she is relatable. Like, can I just tell you randomly, the other day I was listening to the recording. <laughs> While jogging and your song <laughs> Father Time came on and it just hit me so hard. I, I love the circumstances of that song in the show and how for me personally as a parent, it seemed like yesterday I was holding this tiny little baby boy in my arms, you know, and now he's taller than me and freshman mm-hmm. in high school and stuff. And it's just so crazy how time flies by. But then the circumstances of that song are just so impactful. And you're singing this lullaby that you used to sing to your firstborn mm-hmm. who you knew had this rare disorder. Mm-hmm. The way I interpret it when I hear it is like yeah. not, not wanting that time to pass too quickly and when it takes place in the show you're singing to your unborn child and so Mm -hmm. it has like this double meaning and then you're sitting there in the audience or you're listening to it on your headphones and you're thinking about the own passage of time in your own life and how things are flying by it's just it just taps into this universal truth for being a human i just found it so powerful i don't envy patty's lot in life as a parent myself losing a child before Mm -hmm myself is my biggest biggest fear in this life so no wonder patty acts crazy but i think even if you take that father time like you're saying like especially having my my own you know kid i was like oh gosh time just like slow down i mean that's one of my biggest wishes in my own life i hope i get a really really long life with my husband and my kid i hope we get to be here as long as possible just so we can be together because that's the best part of my life for me you know and we just don't know we don't know right right so just a reminder to enjoy the time while it's happening yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. (laughs) oh my gosh all right i'm getting a little melancholy uh, but Allie, this has been wonderful. I don't want to keep you much longer. I feel like I could talk all day just about your incredible career and who you are. I like to ask all my guests a version of this question. What is something you know now that you didn't know and maybe wished you had known when you were first starting out? I don't know. Did anybody tell you this? I was like getting gearing up to going to college and post-college. Like I heard a lot. If you're going to do this, you have to devote your whole life and you might not get to be a parent or you might not get to get married. And you know, I know a ton of parents work. I know a ton of actors, parents and on Broadway. And like, like with most things, you just, you figure it out. Yes. I would say when I'm not working, the stress is higher because I have another mouth to feed than just myself. But you know, it's all doable. You just, you, you, you figure it out. And honestly, I think I'm a better actor because of it. My, my life is fuller than just the ups and downs of 
the business. But in my 20s, I lived in those ups and downs a little more. Like it's hard. Like your self-esteem when you're younger, I think gets wrapped up in that stuff. And I think when you just broaden your life a little bit and you get some perspective, there's a little bit more balance that I find helpful. Your life is way bigger than just this business. Ab. Absolutely. Because if your life is just this misses, I do think um, the highs are going to be high, but the lows are really low and it's it'll knock you around, you know? Thank you for sharing that. Can we mm-hmm. close out with some rapid fire random questions? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so the first question is, what was the last play or book that you read? Oh my gosh. I'm reading like a parent book right now. <laughs> oh, you are? I love it. <laughs> it's Dr. Becky. <laughs> so that's what I'm currently reading. I also am in the midst of a Brene Brown book as well. So those are my my current books at the moment. Uh, Which Brene Brown book is it? I've read a couple of them. Um, the Gifts of Imperfection. Ooh, good title. I know. Um, the title alone. This right? is something I've had to work on. I was like, you know what? There's no such thing as perfection and there are gifts from being imperfect. So anyway, it's great. I love that. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, okay, yeah. next question. What is the last musical that you listened to? i got to tell you, I don't listen to a lot of musicals. That's Not funny. everybody does. That's okay. But do you know what? For a time, my husband and I, we would groove. This was pre-pandemic. We would groove. We would just randomly clean the house and turn on like Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> I never, I never saw Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, but there was some stuff about that music that just like felt good. Yeah. You know? Awesome. If you don't listen to a musical, but you do put on music, what do you tend to gravitate toward? I like Brandi Carlisle a lot. Oh, me too. She's just like a recent discovery for us and we can't get enough. Oh my gosh. I was listening to her a good 15 years ago. No Like way. the story and all that stuff. Now she's like- She's huge. Huge. Yeah. But she's always been amazing. She's always been there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. that And that voice is so cool. I agree. She's a go-to for sure, Brandi Carlisle. Awesome. Let's go to the next question. Do you watch TV? I mean, sort of. Sort yeah. of? Okay. So what show are you currently hooked on? I just finished this morning watching Only Murders in the Building. I'm a massive <laughs> Steve Martin, Martin Short. Like Three Amigos is my favorite movie I of all time. I love it. Oh, that's so fun. So I watched that show for the two of them uh-huh. but this show was great i love that show's great there's so many new york actors i agree yeah we just yeah. Finished, we just caught up last night literally i think this is my favorite season season three uh-huh. yeah so good so good and i feel like in in every episode you can usually catch at least one moment that they kept on in, in the edit that was like yeah. improv or su- yeah, yeah, they yeah. surprise each other <laughs> This is my favorite Steve Martin season. I think we're getting bits of Steve Martin, the silliness. Yeah. There's more moments like that. Like the things I really love about Steve Martin are are in this season. (laughs) It's so fun. It's so fun. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, next question. Favorite snack food? You know, all I do is snack. Probably (laughs) like in in general popcorn, but specifically, I don't know how you feel about cheese popcorn, but Pittsburgh Popcorn Company cheese popcorn, if you're into like cheesy, it doesn't get any better than that. Oh my gosh. It's so good. I'm not kidding you. You can find it on my social media I ordered I ordered it in bulk it comes in a giant trash bag <laughs> no way and I share it with people but it's just that. more cost effective than buying the tin oh my god it's so good it's so good now the last one is a little bit more common so you've probably had this question before okay it goes back to theater again if you could play any role on stage at this point that maybe you haven't played yet, what would it be? I'm so boring. I don't have a good answer for this. I don't <laughs> have a good answer. You've been asked before, haven't you? You want to know why? I, I really just, I really love working on new material yeah. and new roles. Yeah. I don't look back at like a canon of musical theater or anything like that. Way more, I'm just like, what hasn't come yet and what what can I be a part of that's like new or just disc- like a, just anything new, a new character. Yeah. Is way more appealing. Like, look, I'll, like, I'll show up in a revival, but like something new sounds 
the most appealing to me. That's a perfectly good answer. And I'm thrilled with the fact that we get to have you in one of the most incredible musicals to happen, uh, to originate this and, and bring this character Patty to life for all of us who love musicals so much. Hey, if people want to find you online, Allie, where can they find you? I think I'm just like Allie Mozzie on Instagram. I think I post the most on Instagram. I'm still I'm still on Facebook a little bit for the older crowd. Yeah. Allie Mozzie. Okay. I'm still confused what's happening with Twitter. So an X and all that stuff. I'm technically on it, but I don't know what to do with it at the moment. <laughs> I'm with you. So it's Instagram's a great, okay. a great place okay, to, great. to find me for sure. Thank you so much, Allie. This was such a pleasure. Thank you for sharing Likewise. and having a conversation with me today. I really appreciate it. And everyone go see Kimberly Akimbo who can. It's so fantastic. And you're amazing. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here today. If you enjoyed this episode at all, please take a moment to leave a review with high marks. You wouldn't believe how much a positive review helps this podcast to reach more people. Then head over to profagers.com to check out my book, all about the mental game of musical theater. And lastly, no matter how you spend the rest of your day, bring enthusiasm to it. You only get this day once, and life keeps getting better and better when you bring enthusiasm to everything that you get to do. Thanks again for spending part of your your day with me. Until next time, this is Prof. Eggers signing out.